You're listening to Rock Talk, the podcast where a couple of jabronis get to know the movie roles of Dwayne The Rock Johnson. I'm Jordan Rummel, joined as always by my good friend and co-host, Charlie Guile. Charlie, how you doing? Hey, Jordan. It's been a while since we've recorded an episode. Wow. Look at us. <laughs> how much has changed in the last year and a half? Uh, we can go back and, and sort of recap. Um, so when last we left our dear listeners... Uh, I was living in D.C., you were living in New Orleans, we were promising to do more of these episodes, uh, and that didn't happen too we much. We lived up to none of those promises, <laughs> all zero promises kept. And you're back in D.C., which is great news, but the problem is uh, I moved to Atlanta. <laughs> we are so. not allowed to exist in the same city for right. more than six months at a time. And it's it's interesting, we've only done this podcast when, we li- when we've lived in other cities, and you know, listening to other podcasts, people are complaining during this time of quarantine that we can't record together anymore. We have to record remotely by Zoom or whatever. And this is what we've done from day one. So we were just preparing for this unknowingly. This is how we operate. Our friendship can't exist in a single room together. We are only we are friends bound by distance. We are pen pals. And that is the extent of things. <laughs> We'll never be closer than that. Uh, but yeah, we're back, hopefully, uh, and, and we're going to try to record, knock out a couple of these last few movies that we never got around to. Let's see. I mean, I think when we left, we only had maybe three or four more, but because we've been gone for so long, I think Dwayne Johnson has released about three or four more other movies, so uh, we got a little bit behind the ball here. The fact that there's a new Jumanji in the time that it's taken us to start recording this podcast again is downright baffling that there is a sequel <laughs> to a movie we've that covered. we saw in theaters and covered <laughs> for the show. And then, but, and that movie is now nine months old, right? Cause didn't it come out around Christmas? So yes, we've got a lot to, a lot of work to do <laughs> a lot. Uh, now in this time uh, of global pandemic and quarantine, do you find yourself uh, revisiting any of these other movies that we've covered or, Ones that you just decided to watch outside of the podcast? I go back to the Fast and Furious series pretty regularly. Uh, Fast Five, Fast Seven, just such good fun. I, I did happen to catch the game plan just on TV. Oh my gosh. Like about a Your month Your favorite ago. movie. <laughs> it is an underrated gem in the Dwayne Johnson catalog. Does it hold up? Because I know we did that episode probably close to two two and a half years ago. I mean, it feels like a completely different world. Uh, everything else in the world has gone to hell, but has that movie hold, held up in your mind? Game Plan is the one uh, ivory tower upon which this world... <laughs> I mean, really, it's not great. But again, in the context of his early movies, I will defend get the Game Plan till the day I die. And I think it is kind of funny, uh, as I meet people in the past couple of years... The podcast comes up pretty frequently. What is the reaction that you get from people, from normies, when you tell them that you have a podcast about The Rock? Do they understand? Do they get it? It's a lot of uh, shame, I'd say. A lot of I, there's a, I, I think there's interest in it. We're, we do have this, this kind of odd niche thing that we've, done, we've spent a ridiculous amount of hours of our so lives. So much time. But like... 
how useful are these facts? It's hard to like my analysis of the rock only gets me so far out there in the world. It's only here between us that it really seems to matter. What I run into a lot of times is people like they'll tell me, man, you seem to know a lot about movies. And I'm like, yeah, yeah. But I, <laughs> what they don't know is I seem to know a lot about rock movies. <laughs> oh, you know, and for- that's only because of uh, all the work we've done on this podcast. And so hopefully we can uh, continue the good work. And uh, sorry that we've promised more than we delivered in the past, but hopefully, like I said, we'll uh, we'll bang out these last few. And what an awesome movie to start with. We've got Hobbs and Shaw, a movie we saw in theaters opening weekend when it came out, 2019. Was it 2019? 2019, yeah. Oh, sheesh. Uh, And we didn't just see this in theaters. We saw it in a 4DX theater, so the optimal viewing experience for Hobbs and Shaw. (laughs) Which was, and and if you live in a town that doesn't have a 40X theater, although, you know, in the future, who knows if 40X theaters are even a thing, maybe Hobbs and Shaw was one of the last maybe 10 movies to be shown nationwide across 40X movie, uh, movie theaters. But you sit in a motorized chair and everything is synced up to the action that you're seeing on, on screen. So it really worked well for the, the car chases in this movie. And uh, But not only does it do that, it'll like flash strobes at certain times. It'll mist on you if it's raining in the movie and you get those delicious fake smells. You get a lot of smell of vision, especially <laughs> in this movie. It's just pumping out. First of all, you mentioned like a mist. This movie, by the end of it, we I was soaking wet, especially the last fight well, scene. that's pretty typical <laughs> for you in any movie. <laughs> by the time I get to the bottom of the popcorn, I'm sweaty, a sweaty yeah. heaping mess. Uh-huh. It's all that sodium. <laughs> just seeping out of your pores. Uh, and we always, and I feel like most movies now are like a three hour experience. I mean, Endgame was what, like three and a half hours? Uh, so yeah, you're, you're gonna be a little damp by the end of it regardless. But this movie, was it more of a refreshing dampness? Uh, or was it more of like your sweaty dampness that you usually experience? The movie itself, it started out refreshing, and we'll get into this, but then by the end of it, I think it's just a, a bloated, sweaty mess, not unlike <laughs> me at the, the bottom of that popcorn bucket. <laughs> uh, but its I'm so excited to talk about this. There's some great stuff. There's some downright awful stuff, surprisingly, but a lot to get into here. I mean, just as a little bit of background, we're talking about Fast and Furious Presents, colon, Hobbs and Shaw, which I think makes it the first time that there's been any punctuation used in a Dwayne Johnson movie, correct? I'm trying to think of other ones. That's a great... If that's true, that's incredible. There's nothing that's coming to mind. Journey 2, maybe? maybe. Oh, yeah, hang on. Yeah, I think you're exactly right. The last movie that we did. Journey to Center of the Earth. That that may have had a colon, but incredible fact if true. Yeah, how short my memory is that I forget something. Um, also, Jumanji, colon, Welcome to the Jungle. So never mind. Uh, it, it's been a thing that he's done lately. Yeah, Journey to colon, Jumanji, colon, The Next Level. Jumanji, colon, uh, Welcome to the Jungle, which should have been... No, Welcome to the Jungle was the first Jumanji movie. The next level was the second. Uh, what else? We get an ampersand all across his <laughs> filmography. filmography uh, Pain and Gain and obviously all the Fast and Furious movies. Also, oh, one that I've forgotten, a movie that I like a lot more than you, G.I. Joe colon uh, Retaliation. Sheesh. But it's also G period I period Joe colon 
retaliation punctuation all up in this mother yeah i uh, i i apologize i was so wrong <laughs> about all of this stuff but uh yeah i mean as far as like a an action movie uh, i enjoyed it i enjoyed a, a lot of it and then there were some things about it that you know normal people probably wouldn't dwell on but we are a bunch of freaks over here and uh can't get past it so jordan why don't you walk us through a little bit of the plot so when Hobbs and Shaw, it's a basically a parallel companion piece to the Fast and Furious universe that focuses on Luke Hobbs, played by Dwayne Johnson, uh, and Deckard Shaw, Jason Statham. These are two characters that we've, you know, that are kind of villains in the Fast and Furious universe, but in this movie, uh, they're our protagonists. They're up against Idris Elba, who's playing a superhuman, uh, half-man, half-machine a villain called Brixton, uh, who is an agent of an underground military tech group called Etienne. He's attempting to get his hands on this virus that could wipe out the world. Uh, however, an MI6 agent, Hattie Shaw, Deckard Shaw's sister, uh, gets to this virus first, injects it into herself with a 72-hour clock, uh, after which the world will... She will die, the world will end, and, you know, it's up to really Hobbs and Shaw to save the planet. <laughs> yeah, and this is one of my issues with this movie, uh, one that I think I, I like is is enjoyable to a certain extent, is I'm not entirely sure what the stakes are. We know that this virus that they keep calling like a programmable virus, which just seems like 2020 tech jargon. Um, <laughs> but yeah, we. I mean, it's essentially the plot of Mission Impossible 2, where Tandy Newton injects herself with the only remaining sample of this uh, deadly virus and they have to protect her for the rest of the movie. But I mean, as confusing as the plot could be, there are some good performances that we like. Um, what do you think? And I personally, I think like the first 30 minutes of this movie just flies and it's great and it's a lot of fun, but we meet our, uh, our heroes here pretty quickly. I mean, I think there's like this early scene just after the credits, before you get to Dwayne Johnson or Jason Statham, uh, where it's like Hattie plays an uh, MI6 agent with a team trying to recover this virus, and she steals the virus, or she essentially steals the virus because she knows uh, Idris Elba's character is coming, and she's framed for like turning on MI6 and is a traitor and on the run, which that's a movie I like. I like the idea of um, Hattie Shaw on the run. Especially because, I mean, she's played by Vanessa Kirby, who just destroys this role. I mean, she is Vanessa so Kirby is fantastic. so good. She's I amazing mean, in Mission Impossible 6. Uh, and she's amazing. And uh, what other movie has she been in? Not to just talk about Mission Impossible. But, <laughs> uh, and she is, I guess she, I think she's like a stage actress. But I think a lot of the movies that she's been in have been really action heavy. And she's. I read somewhere where she like trained with the same trainer that Charlize Theron trained with for Atomic Blonde, and they really put her through the paces in her action sequences. And you know she fights Wayne Johnson at one point and is proven to be like a a physical equal to him. And I think that that's something that and and she plays it off. It's so believable, and I I really enjoyed it. Yep, I thought so too. Especially that fight that you're referring to at the beginning. It's not even just one of those, you know, where the man in the scene is using brute strength and the woman is just, you know, quicker. It's she's really presented as an equal fighter in this moment and it's in terms of combat and this martial arts style and even she like threw in like a chokehold at one point like it's it's a really cool thing that we don't we don't get a lot of that uh, in a lot of action movies. So it it's interesting that the first 30 minutes of this, especially when you have two 
action stars as big as Dwayne Johnson, Jason Statham sharing the top billing that they could bring Vanessa Kirby in in a way that felt authentic, that felt equal uh, and felt honestly like she could kick anyone's ass at any time. Yeah, for sure. I mean, I and I think that the way that they're structuring these Fast and Furious movies now is it's going to be in two parallel tracks. We're going to have the Fast and Furious presents crew with Hobbs and Shaw and Hattie. And then on the other end of the spectrum, in the mainline Fast and Furious story, you're going to have Vin and Tyrese Gibson and Ludacris and and those people. And Which, that's some, I don't know. Of- I'm a little afraid that it's going to go back to like Fast 4. The reason why we love these movies is because it pits somebody like Dwayne Johnson against somebody like Vin Diesel, and they play it so straight. It's like so deadly serious. And I think that's a lot of the reason why we are charmed by these movies. So I'm a little bit concerned with how how the rest of this franchise is going to play out. But I, I'm hoping that they, uh, in this you know Fast and Furious presents colon banner, they get a little more creative and outside the box. And I think that this movie did that. Absolutely. I mean, you lose a little bit of the the camp factor that these later Fast and Furious movies are giving you where they're playing it so seriously, so over the top that it's you can't help but kind of laugh at it. This it it kind of took it like a uh, the Dwayne Johnson comedic. This is like his new turn, I think, in the last few years with Jumanji, with this movie where he's injecting a very deliberate sense of humor in the writing and in the acting. It doesn't always work. but no, it, And I would whole... say that that sense of humor mostly has to do with testicles uh. because there are so many testicle <laughs> jokes in this movie. Uh, you know, Dwayne Johnson at one point, Hobbs tells Shaw that listening to his voice is like dragging his balls across broken glass. And it's like a couple of those, it's fine. But they just kept talking. You know, when he when Shaw gives Hobbs a, a costume to wear, he said it might be a little loose in the balls. And it's like, okay, we're going to, we may need to like settle down. Like not everybody needs to be funny all the time. And I think that maybe my issue with sort of this later stage era, Dwayne Johnson is that he wants to be everything. And this movie is such a victory lap. I mean, obviously some of his later movies, we haven't liked all of them all the way through, but they make a ton of money. And so this is essentially being like, let's give him one movie in a franchise that we know is going to make a lot of money and let's see what he can do with it. It does kind of drive me crazy though, because when Hobbs is introduced into this franchise in fast five, his character is very much just playing straight a bad guy. He's a villain. He's chasing after Vin Diesel and the rest of the gang. But by the time that this movie enters the series as sort of this parallel universe, it's asking us to believe that, he is this, you know, charming, great guy. He has the daughter. I mean, I'm all for my characters having a complex backstory, but this is taking, it's completely sort of rewriting, you know, the hardline CIA agent that Dwayne Johnson was introduced as, uh, and then pairing him with Deckard Shaw, one of the most notorious villains in the entire franchise, and sort of having this like buddy cop dynamic that it it works, it works in moments, but then it does like blend into this surreal one-liner riff off situation that happens like four or five times through this movie yeah i mean i think that like i said this movie the first 30 minutes really were effective and great for me when they're just kind of laying the groundwork for how the rest of the movie is going to go and a big part of that is this parallel sequence where we see at the same time both of their morning routines side by side and uh, i wanted to ask you jordan like if you had to choose uh, a lifestyle are you going to choose 
Hobbs or Shaw? This is an incredibly easy question for me to answer because only one of these men doesn't spend half the sequence drinking down raw eggs and spooning up coffee grounds, and that's Jason Statham. So I, I will do anything to avoid Dwayne Johnson's morning routine of, of raw food consumption. <laughs> he doesn't have time for it. No cooking. <laughs> I just, I wonder what his GI tract is like if he's constantly <laughs> eating raw food. I mean, raw eggs, I think, is something that you might be able to get used to, but just ingesting raw coffee does not seem also are you gonna get caffeine from that maybe i guess you probably would but like that does not sound enjoyable at all look if he spends less time cooking it means more time for lube lubing up his body with that baby oil sheen (laughs) which they make jokes about i (laughs) i enjoyed that actually i think a part of me wishes that this movie would have been more like you know hobbs as the straight man and shaw as the sort of smart aleck sidekick guy because i don't know if it's just a british accent but jason statham sells so many of these jokey lines perfect like i was busy doing that when you were too busy rubbing down with baby oil (laughs) and that stuff really works for me and um but the problem is when you get uh, a comeback from dwayne johnson that is exactly the same kind of joke like dragging your balls across broken glass or something like that um and i i think that it's supposed to indicate to us that these guys are basically two sides of the same coin that they're very similar i i that's i think that's right but again it's just a weird i found it just weird to believe that given the broader if this was maybe one of your first films to that you were consuming in this franchise i kind of get it but it's it's a it's a lot of work to ask freak fans like us of this franchise to buy into i thought but freak fans like us don't aren't the ones that push this movie to like a you know, just under a billion dollars. Uh, so maybe maybe he shouldn't be catering to the likes of us. But in this side-by-side sequence, uh, I wanted to really highlight uh, one line when, you know, they're, they're both of them are fighting on different missions. And at the same point, you know, the, the bad guys are like, who the hell are you? And Dwayne Johnson says, I'm a, something like you call me a can of whoop ass. Yeah. Hobbs goes, I'm what you might call an ice cold can of whoop ass. Which is classic Dwayne Johnson, which, you know, works for me uh, fine. But and I, can I, and maybe I'm just an idiot, but Jason Statham's retort in his side of the equation, he says, I'm what you might call a champagne problem. Mm-hmm. Yep. Yep. Heard that too. <laughs> Jordan, what's uh... a champagne problem? <laughs> It's not not as intimidating as an ice-cold can of whoop-ass. Is this movie too smart for us? (laughs) Well, I refuse to believe that considering that Dwayne Johnson's quote in the sequence occurs at a a, a tattoo club karaoke party that's occurring at a Best Western. So first of all, I think as a... Is it like an abandoned Best Western that they've turned into like an underground party? Or is it... A Best Western, like, (laughs) pop-up. One of those Best Western tattoo pop-ups that sprout up up around the city. I don't know, but we do also get, I mean, this it kicks off again the the difference in physicality between the two guys. There's something we're going to see throughout the entire film. So, Jordan, I've, I've looked up the definition for champagne problem. And it says, a problem or dilemma that when compared with issues of poverty, natural disasters, and war are not all that big of a deal, but nonetheless provide individuals with issues that must be dealt with. In the context of that scene, 
where he is on a mission fighting these guys and they ask who he is and he says i'm a champagne problem he says i am i'm a bad situation but what is the other bad situation that they're facing this is this movie the amount that must have gone over our heads in this film <laughs> i mean Wow, in an analytical take on Hobbs and Shaw, this is maybe the deepest we've gone into the. Well, <laughs> and and I th- I think it's a play on because he's fighting with a bottle of champagne, um, and he makes a joke like, "Oh, after he like beats up a lot of guys with it, he says, oh, I thought that would have broke,' and he drops it and it breaks, and then that's when the line happens. But like, I, I get the joke, but it's like a single entendre. I'm a champagne problem in that I just beat up all your guys with a bottle of champagne, but it has no <laughs> other meaning. In the context of the scene. And that's kind of, I think, the, what this movie's all about. It's, it's jokes that are landing just on face value. There's really, the plot is more complex than it needs to be. Uh, the fight sequences is in your face action, but a lot of the dialogue, and I think that this is a some of the Seven Bucks production influence, is just not there, not totally there. You get a lot of that through this entire film. Yeah, and I wonder what the writing process of a movie like this is like, uh, because part of me thinks that they think up the action sequences and then write the you know the plot in between all those action sequences, which is can work really well. There's actually, like I said, not to talk too much about Mission Impossible, but there's like this seven-hour interview with Christopher McQuarrie, the writer and director of Mission Impossible Fallout, and he says that the first thing that they do before they write the script is they go out and scout locations and are like, oh, that location would be cool to do this, that location would be cool to do that, and they write the movie, and then while they're shooting it, they're adjusting the story to fit whatever scenario, which is like, you know, I think a lot of oftentimes painted as like a bad way to produce a movie that plot should always be first but i think especially in a movie like mission impossible fallout you can really make it work and a movie like this i was hopeful that uh the whole thing would be cohesive but uh unfortunately no not not a lot of that but one of the elements of this movie plot wise that we get that we don't see a lot in dwayne johnson movies is a love interest yeah maybe one of the first times we've seen Dwayne Johnson with a real romantic interest in a movie. I know we had in the Scorpion King, he wakes up next to some kind of uh, like wizard princess. But... Sorceress, yeah. <laughs> I guess that's, it's not wizard princess. Sorceress is... <laughs> wizard princess. <laughs> that's the right way to say that. Um, but in here, I mean, we actually, we get a kiss at one point. It's believable to a certain extent. Charlie, what did you think of the entire romantic process? Well, I mean, and for those uh, who haven't seen the movie... The romantic interest is Hattie Shaw, Shaw's sister, who's Vanessa Kirby's character, which I think in like certain they could have gotten there in a way that would have worked. And they obviously in the early parts of the movie have this chemistry, um, this back and forth that I think works and could be construed as maybe more romantic or they just have like a nice romantic chemistry. But oftentimes in this movie, they want to skip all the other stuff that would lead to a believable ending with them together but they skip it and they skip it in this conversation where they're you know they're in a plane flying to wherever and hattie is asleep in the seat next to jason statham and across the aisle is dwayne johnson and statham and dwayne johnson are having this conversation um and and like i said we've gone on and on about how good vanessa kirby is like as an action star in this movie she proves herself as an equal to these two uh, super famous action stars but in this scene she's sort of just diminished as like um 
essentially an object. And uh, it was very uncomfortable, you know, especially because I think Shaw's the one who brings it up first. Like It's it's completely gross. This is the scene that prevents this love story from having any real traction. Uh, you get a lot of just back and forth. Again, it's that same, you know, toe-to-toe, Johnson and Statham. But it's, but it's all about different ways that Dwayne Johnson would be having sex with Vanessa Kirby's character. It's just yeah. so uncomfortable. I mean, and it, he makes these jokes on Instagram all the time. These are essentially like the rock Instagram jokes of like he calls himself a big brown tattooed mountain of a man, which I think the way he lays it out at first, he's like, hey, I would never even think about touching your sister or letting her climb this big brown mountain of a man. So on one half, he's like saying like, I'm a gentleman and I would never do this. But then he <laughs> right. completely negates all of that by saying, but if she was into it, I would let her climb this mountain over and over and over again. And it, like I said, it just it very much uh, reduces her character as just an object, which um, I think the rest of the movie kind of follows through with that, where she's just she becomes the MacGuffin of the movie and that she has this virus coursing through her veins. Yeah, and we'd both agree. I mean, we're not the the best people at all to be speaking to this issue, but when you look at Dwayne Johnson's films in like this broader context, so much of what he does is what we've what we've always talked about is he plays this role, you know, father to young women. He, he seems to to uh, to at least from what we can tell, find roles for women that are elevated and you know equal in some respects. But in this film they give her a lot to do and it's, she, she knocks out of the park, but then this sequence is so uncomfortable that it, it takes away a lot of that work. No more character development for her. I think after this, after the sequence, which uh, was a real bummer. Um, but that being said, would I want to see Dwayne Johnson in a sex scene? I think I would. There's so many, so many questions. About I know. I'm works. just so curious. <laughs> um, I know that in ballers, there's a little bit more of like the, but that's like played as like more of like less jokey, I think, and more of a as realistic as ballers can get um, where he actually has like relationships. But uh, yeah, I thought that was weird. But what also happens on this airplane sequence is we get a cameo, a delightful cameo from Kevin Hart. Completely forgot that he was in this movie until rewatching it. Uh, about this Granted, week. the first time we saw this movie, we were being thrown around in motorized <laughs> chairs like a theme park. Um, and based on the reviews that I've seen of the Fast and Furious uh, ride at Universal Studios, maybe that is the best version of a Fast and Furious theme park is in the 40X uh, viewing experience. Yeah, I really enjoyed this scene with Kevin Hart where he's just trying to be one of the guys. Yeah, I love it. I mean... He- his he's only in this movie for a combined like six minutes, but he makes the most of every single one. I think that we need to play this clip. Uh, but Kevin Hart has this whole thing about being an alpha, about slang and weight. I mean, he does this thing with his voice too. I, I can't do it justice over here. I think can we play the clip here to to get a little bit? Both of y'all cut it out. Oh, see, you woke up the air marshal. You woke the air marshal. How did you know I was the air marshal? Unaccompanied. Late boarding the plane. I'll see. Gold shirt. Let's just call that an educated guess. Air Marshal Dinkley at your service. I'm sorry, did you say Dinkley? What's the problem? Dinkley. Understand this, big fella, because it's my job to observe. Thick neck, your head's been on a swivel since you've been on this damn plane. Every passenger that's got on here, you've been checking out. You're a lawman. And you, Mr. Almighty Pants, you're a spy. 
pretty good. I don't know, but I get it. We all big guys. The three of us. Alphas. Three apex predators cooped up in the sky. Tensions get high. What you throwing up on the bench, big fella? 300, 400 pounds? A little less. Yeah, light work. I'm doing the same thing. Slanging weight. Clanging and banging. What you into? Hot yoga? Pilates? Probably mess around in the octagon. Yeah, you wanna know what I do? I sit in a can of farts all day long. That's what I'm dealing with. Clanging and banging. <laughs> with just three alphas. Three of us alphas. <laughs> which I really enjoy because he's, you know, he's an air marshal, which I guess in the hierarchy of law enforcement uh, is probably way down, you know, on the bottom rung. Um, but he just wants to be kind of a big guy with these guys. And uh, But the funny thing is, like, yeah, of course... Like Kevin Hart makes a lot of jokes about his diminutive stature, but Jason Statham isn't a big guy, right? Uh, and Vin Diesel—I mean, he's got to just be a little bit smaller than Vin Diesel. The only really tall person in this sequence is The Rock, right? Exactly. Now, one thing I did like about the airplane sequence is seeing somebody like Dwayne Johnson sit in an airline seat. Was that, okay? Do you think that that was standard size? That or do you was think that they shrunk it for build? effect? Like his Jeeps that he has where they custom remove the ceilings in his Jeep so the top of his head sticks out. <laughs> I think that was a fast... I think they did that in his... his uh, What's it? The big tank he drove in Fast Five. I think that they had to chop off a piece of the interior. So the really? His... And raise it? Mm-hmm. That's, uh, that's hysterical. Yeah. I mean, it just makes me think, like, when do you think the last time Dwayne Johnson has ridden coach... Oh man, this—that's WWE day. Yeah, WWF probably early days. WWE. Yeah, um, but it, it's really kind of—it's really funny to see him in a situation like that, which I think like that's some of the most effective comedy that we see with Dwayne Johnson is just seeing a big guy in small places. You don't have to like layer on all like he doesn't have to be the wittiest person in the room, but just put him in like sort of a, a humiliating situation, and. Uh, which we get because he's wearing a costume of a guy named Michael Oxmall, uh, who that's like his alter ego that Jason Statham gives him. But even that, they put him in a stupid mustache and he's wearing dumb glasses. And even after all that, though, they kind of save it because he's like busting out of this tracksuit looking thing. He's only willing to be the butt of the joke so much. And in that scene, he also he gets past airplane secure, security and his whole thing is, well, I'm just so charming and likable. That's how I made it through. It's like, OK, well, you just 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 be the butt of the joke just one time. You don't have to be the winner. <laughs> nope. Always. It's in his contract, just like he can't lose a fight, uh, which I guess he did. Did he lose a fight to Idris Elba in this movie? Early on, and I guess we haven't really spoken too much about Idris Elba's character, Brixton, but he seems to have this mechanical implant from a near-death experience. Uh, it's completely taken over his brain, his spinal cord. So basically, when we get to see from inside Idris Elba's head, what he's looking at is sort of a computer display of what's happening in real time. So if D- Dwayne Johnson throws a punch at him, all of a sudden these matrix numbers come up and it's, you have 10% to dodge left or you should throw a punch in 60 seconds. So it, it does a whole thing like that. But Dwayne Johnson does get his head rocked a couple times actually at the beginning. What do you think of Idris Elba in this movie? I liked him a lot. Um, I think that in terms of finding a formidable villain to go against Dwayne Johnson, Jason Statham, these two giants in this franchise, I think he's a great choice. That being said, he was almost too good for this movie. I thought, I mean, he actually, his acting was 
like so dramatic and so well done that it felt out of place. Well, his whole character is like, you're the bad guy. You need to be hammy about that. But then also in these other scenes where he's like getting a tune up or getting replacement parts, we see him suffering at the hands of this shadowy corporation Etion. So I'm curious, like, are we supposed to feel bad for him? Because I didn't really, but they did waste a lot of time in these scenes where it's just him sort of getting these treatments. Almost setting us up to for a, a sequel in that he's not even the real bad guy here. There's someone else pulling the strings. Which, that's like one of the big remaining mysteries in this movie. Um, who is the voice behind the Etion uh, computers? And I, I know that for a long time it was written to be Keanu Reeves. So, that's incredible. That to me is unbelievable to have to have Keanu Reeves in this franchise also. But he turned them down, saying he didn't think it would work. But that would leave him open to being other bad guys in the Fast and Furious universe. Because I think, you know, I think you're right about Idris Elba in that the list of people who could reasonably go up against these guys in Hollywood is getting smaller. Especially as Dwayne Johnson continues to get bigger. I mean, there's, I don't know who you're going to find. Charlize Theron was a pretty good, the way, especially that her whole thing was controlling technology and sending automated cars. Like, that's an interesting dynamic, but I don't know where they go from here. Uh, Also, I just wanted to note, I thought that that voice sounded like Adam Driver, but like, Uh, like well, Kylo Kylo Ren. Ren. Mm -hmm. Yeah. I would, I would see Adam Driver in in this movie. I don't think he would ever do it. I think he might be done playing villains for a while. But I would love to see Adam Driver in a Fast and Furious movie. Give me a um, Babu Frick crossover. <laughs> <laughs> hey, uh, hey. Well, in Fast 10, when they get to space, maybe they happen upon, uh, you know, a, a X-Wing or something like that. Uh, but I, I, I really, I liked a lot of what Idris Elba did. And I think, like I said, the first 30 minutes of this movie are great. He's talking, you know, people are like, who are you? He says, I'm a bad, I'm the bad guy. And then, like, he just plays it way over the top. He's not a complicated character. He's just a singularly focused Terminator man. And that's all I needed from him, really. But maybe they didn't think that that was meaty enough as far as character work um, for an actor like Idris Elba. But uh, I was bummed to see it. Uh, What did you think of the line, I'm Black Superman? That was the trailer line. I love that. Uh, To me, again, because the only way you're setting up a character that can go against these guys, you have to make them larger than life. Because, again... These Fast and Furious characters, these protagonists, they are not mere men and women anymore. They are superheroes. They've jumped that shark, crossed that line. So actually, I thought it was appropriate. I think um, initially the line was written to be, I'm the black James Bond. And Idris Elba decided he was going to say Superman because he was um, under consideration for James Bond at one point. I don't know if he still is. Um, but I, I think the black Superman thing works a lot better because he doesn't, he's not like black James. He's not like James Bond at all. No, he, there's actually nothing sneaky or subtle about anything he does. His whole thing is actually in your face, controlling the news, showing up on a, uh, motorcycle that can drive itself and do all, what do you think? About that was something, motorcycle? yeah, we we're going to have to, this is, we are eventually going to get here, right? I mean, a big part of the DNA of the fast and furious franchise is, are cars and they're immediately recognizable cars cars that you could go out and buy today but this movie introduces so many sci-fi elements that had previously not been a part of this universe um one of which cyborg men but another uh (laughs) is this like transformer-esque 
motorcycle that Idris Elba has um, that it kind of makes sounds like the Transformers. It's exactly do. it's exactly what it was like a like a little bumblebee. I mean, the whole thing, it could write itself. It was flying through traffic on its own when it's knocked over. I liked that it would pop back up. But kind of to your point, I mean, this franchise is about cars. It's about driving before they became superheroes. That's what set them apart from the folks they were up against. So if you introduce someone whose main skill is that they don't actually have to do skillful driving, like, then what is that? Then what is this French? Like, what are we, what are we doing here? Which maybe that's part of the, you know, the branching off point is that they could try new and different things, which I just didn't think that this movie was quite experimental enough. Like if you're going to go that far, give me aliens, give me, you know, oh, maybe Vanessa Kirby was a robot the whole time or something like that. Like, give me something crazy. That's a but, twist uh, I would have loved. <laughs> <laughs> and that's just off the top of my head. Listen, uh, David Leach, get at me for Hobbs and Shaw 2. Um, now, I, I mean, while we're talking about characters, and I know people criticize Star Wars for this all the time, like, does everyone have to be related? How do you feel about the Shaw family? I'm pretty conflicted. I mean, first of all, it's it's odd enough that we're now being asked to root for Deckard Shaw. I love Jason Statham, so I can get over it. But it's when you look at what we've got now, I mean, there's uh, there was, well, who was his brother? Owen Shaw, right? That's the original brother. Then we had Deckard. Their mom is Helen Mirren. Um, so Queenie. Her name is Queenie. <laughs> Queenie. Get it right? <laughs> we stand a legend, Queenie Shaw. And she's great in this. She actually, I mean, the amount of, she gets a ton of airtime in in this movie, which I thought was pretty fun. Um, but then Vanessa Kirby is her is Deckard Shaw's sister. Weird thing about that, which I know we've talked about this, but the age difference is just pretty astronomical. I think in the movie, yeah, it's supposed to be two years, but because they they have flashbacks in the movie and they're both kids. But in reality, Jason Statham is twenty one years older oh. than Vanessa Kirby, which. You know, is a, is goofy, but it's not the first time in Hollywood that they've they've done it. But this one definitely feels extreme. I know he plays young, and maybe she could play mid thirties. Uh, but yeah, definitely. I mean, those flashback scenes I could have done without them. Like the whole, the only one I remember is like they had different schemes that they would come up with to rob people, and they would name them after singers. Yeah. So, Mick Jagger was one, but I mean, I, I could have done without them. You get a Mick Jagger, you get a Keith Moon. And I mean, and that's part of, I think, one of our larger criticisms maybe of this movie is that it's a, it feels a little bloated. And part of it comes from sequences like these. And there's like three or four throughout the movie of unnecessary flashbacks of Hattie and Deckard as children, like lighting firecrackers and stuff. Like, it's cute. I guess they're building the development. But th- this movie could have cut all of that out, cut out some of, I think, that we should get through these action sequences, but cut out maybe like an entire one of the sequences, the big set pieces and been a much uh, easier movie to digest. Yeah. I mean, and we spend a lot of time with the characters in transit from point A to point B. You cut down some of that stuff, all the flashbacks, maybe shorten up the um, Chernobyl sequence a little bit. There's a whole like C plot with a scientist. Oh yeah. A lot of flamethrower situation. Yeah. That is basically, I mean, the, the classic German scientist, former Nazi, maybe, who's like doing genetic testing, not to put too fine a point on it, but <laughs> we're supposed to kind of feel bad for him because he was trying to do the right thing and got caught up in the life and then he's tortured. And I think he's really the only, besides Brixton, the only like character we spend any time with that dies. 
Yeah, I think it's absolutely true. But again, but unnecessary. Could have cut it out. I don't need him. 15 minutes of this movie. What do you think? Like the, do you think there are any deleted sequences, uh, deleted scenes on the Blu-ray? I, okay. So I can't, there's no way for me. To, I don't have it. So I don't know if it exists, but it's I, not in the box set. Yeah. Right. I'm sure that there is more footage or at least in the writing sequence, there was more plot time devoted to the Samoa third act of this movie because it feels so shoehorned in like just an excuse for the rock to go full Samoa and do like the, the war, the traditional war dance and just have a fight there. But there is really no reason for us to go there. We kind of meet his family for some, but again, there's only like, there's like 30 minutes left in the movie by this point. Who wanted to know more about Hobbes's family? Really? I mean, and the only reason I wanted to know more about Shaw's family is because it's so ingrained in the fast and furious DNA you know, you have Owen Shaw and Deckard Shaw avenging his brother. And then, you know, Helen Mirren wanted in this movie. So what are you going to do? Tell her no. So, um, yeah, I, I just didn't need any of the backstory. And we don't get to Samoa until you're like an hour and 35 minutes into the movie, which it's a good sequence. But by that time, especially if you're in a 4DX chair, you're maybe a little worn out. You're sore. You're sweaty. You've got like still half a box of popcorn that you're just charging through. But it's true because you get to Samoa and that it does that thing, which I actually love about a lot of the Fast and Furious movies where the the music shifts because it kind of delves into this like, uh, um, what's it called? Like daytime TV, like soap opera style of relationship music where it's Dwayne Johnson with his long lost brother and his mom. And they're sort of having this, where have you been? We've, we've, we've needed you. You've let the family down and it kind of has this dramatic turn, but by that's by this point, I don't care. I'm just like ready kind of for the movie to wrap up because I've got to go to the bathroom and I'm like tired of this. But like, really, like, like what? Why devote so much? That's five DX with a built-in toilet. <laughs> <laughs> um, no, and I, I yeah, and what you find out at Samoa is that Hobbs has been estranged from his family because he turned his own dad in for doing shady things. And so, once again, it sort of it's this refusal for Dwayne Johnson to play a guy who's made mistakes like even things that get him ostracized from his family were at the end of the day the right thing to do um but yeah I mean you meet like all of his brothers and actually really I the one thing in Samoa I really enjoyed is his mom I mean another trailer scene I think was when they open up the thing to get the guns and all the guns are gone and there's like the outlines of the guns where they were supposed to be hanging I said, mom, what'd you do with the guns? She said, oh, I got rid of them. I don't like guns. Uh, but then they're like, okay, let's just go old school. And so they have like clubs and traditional weapons and they're going up against Brixton and his like technologically advanced rifles and stuff. There's I, no reason they should win that final fight. But um, so, all right, this is once again, the movie being too smart for me, I guess. Why couldn't they fire their weapons for a period of time when they got to Samoa? Something to do with what, the Rock's brother on the island is like this genius scientist who is the reason they go to Samoa is so he can create this system to extract the virus out of Vanessa Kirby's character. But I think at the same time, he creates some sort of like signal blocker or there's some sort of uh, like an EMP type thing. Mm-hmm. Okay. But well, that a makes a long way to get to that, like a very yeah. strange way to get to that. Like just, just also... a simpler fight. <laughs> They resolved Dwayne Johnson being away pretty quickly. 
<laughs> she has, I thought this was crazy. She's like, come on. In. Like they really do hug it out uh, immediately. But her dinner table with all of his brothers around, one of, one of his brothers is just wearing a shirt that says Samoa and a hat that says, I love Samoa, which I thought was hysterical. But the dinner table. It's like if had... you went to Manhattan and everybody's walking around <laughs> in I Heart New York shirt. Right. Exactly. You know, just like normal New Yorkers do. But then the dinner table, and this really, I don't know what the choice was here, only had pineapple on it. Like it was like five different settings with just different pineapples. You were watching this movie at a level I didn't think was possible. It was the uh, Terramana Corsair. I was watching it in a different way. <laughs> that's, uh, yeah, I mean, if this movie happened six months later, you better bet that Terramana would have been on that table. It's <laughs> absolutely Both true. Both the Blanco and the Reposado. Mm. Um, but I, I think I, I enjoy just on the surface a lot of the stuff that happens in Samoa as far as the action sequences go. Um, you know, you get them doing their like warrior dance, the haka, um, which I, we saw a little bit of in Fast Seven. I think Dwayne Johnson's daughter does it on the soccer field, but it, which is like kind of cool, you know, paying tribute to where he came from and hiring Samoan actors is that's all very cool. Um, but Maybe we could have lost Cherno. I think that that's probably the right move. If if we we're going to improve this movie, I think the number one thing you could do is kind of get rid of the middle, middle Chernobyl sequence. If the final third act is about Dwayne Johnson's backstory, family, Samoa, then they could have given us an extra 30 minutes to understand that and dive into that world a little bit more. But instead, it, it comes off a little bit rushed, even though we do get a pretty exciting fight sequence. We do get a cool, maybe the most authentic Fast and Furious style car chase of the movie. Uh, and even like a, you know, a pretty surreal situation where Dwayne Johnson's holding onto a hel- a moving helicopter with two chains that are hooked into the, the landing gear. It's pretty cool stuff. Yeah, he reels in a helicopter by himself. You know, helicopters on the chain, he reels <laughs> them in. That is the stuff of Dwayne Johnson legend. Uh, but the problem is there's been like two hours plus of this movie that have happened before that. Charlie, but where do you think that the rock pulling in the helicopter with his bare hands, where does that rank in the Dwayne Johnson feats of strength discussion? Well, I, <laughs> uh, well, I think it definitely puts him in like a superhero pantheon. I know that they've been in the fast and furious franchise have been like sniffing the idea that they have, um, you know, superhuman abilities. And I think that this is maybe the first like straight up confirmation of that. Uh, it's pretty high up there for sure. I mean, I think of flexing out of the cast in fast five, basically any of the action sequences in Hercules. Um, He's pretty, pretty badass and walking tall defeats. Like I think maybe upwards of like 40 henchmen, the first five <laughs> minutes of that movie. Yeah, that's true. Uh, there's there's a lot of stuff like that. I think it's got to be, if it's not number one, it, it's top three for sure. Um, now, I'm about to ask a question that may sound dumb, but do you think Dwayne Johnson could do that? <laughs> you know, we've seen so much that I'm not willing, I'm not willing to put anything past. I think that this is actually well within the realm. I mean, I've seen him on Titan games. He can do anything. Well, I think it's like, I mean, sometimes you'll see those uh, videos of like strong men pulling semi trucks or airplanes by ropes. And I, I just, like I said, I just, I, I don't think it's out of the realm of possibility. <laughs> I think it's possible. Do you hear us, Dwayne? I know you listen to this. 
show us what you can do. Well, yeah. I mean, obviously that was done all real and no CGI whatsoever. <laughs> but I mean, it culminates in this movie. So he basically uses that to crash the helicopter. And so it ends up being like Jason State, like Hobbs and Shaw versus uh, Idris Elba. And it's a pretty cool fight scene. I mean, what did you think? It's it's a pretty cool set piece on sort of the rain uh, on the side of a cliff by a waterfall. Pretty interesting design. But what did you think of the fight? Yeah, I mean, it reminded me a lot of Black Panther. Um, it's a very wet scene. <laughs> Everybody is soaking wet. The spray wet. from the 40X was I, This was one of the more uh, enjoyable parts for me of 40X because you're getting a nice mist. There's like a, a clean water smell that they're pumping in. Um, there's the the strobe light flashes that they sync up with every time that there's lightning in the movie. You get a flash in the theater. Uh, very, very cool. Um, but, I mean, as far as, like, this is kind of where everything comes together. And after they, you know, get the crap beaten out of them at first, they realize that they have to work together. Right. Like an hour and 40 minutes into this movie. They had been working together. <laughs> Like, like, that's the whole point. Hobbs and Shaw, you are teammates. You've been enemies. You're teammates. Work together to defeat this guy. They're like, well, if we just punch him at the same time, oh, we could stop <laughs> he can't block both of us, which, like, fine, whatever. What do you think? And I think this is the first time in any of the Fast movies that I've seen this when they would punch him, like, the slow motion and, like, the distorted faces. I thought it was, like, kind of a cool effect. Yeah, first time I think we've seen a slow motion fight. So it usually it's, it's played up to like the amplitude there for it. But I, uh, pretty cool. I mean, it's the only way that I think they could accurately capture sort of the, again, from Idris Elba's point of view, even the way that he was not able to, even with his computer enhancements, stop the punch. So it kind of was a cool way of illustrating. It's all really cool. And then obviously they defeat Idris Elba, but in classic Dwayne Johnson, good guy fashion, they're not even the ones to kill him. Like Etienne self-destructs his body and he falls off a cliff. Like we never actually see his body. So I guess, you know, they don't want to paint themselves in a corner case Idris Elba wants to come back as a good guy. Which <laughs> <laughs> is always possible in these movies. Always. But, but who do you think? I mean, it kind of, kind of opens the door for a sequel. The biggest question is probably who is this mysterious voice of Etienne? Who's running the scene? Do you have any theories on who that could be? Well, I think obviously the... The obvious answer, and the, I think the answer that a lot of fans want, is Han. Um, yep, yep. Because, and, and it kind of tracks with the what the voice says to Dwayne Johnson at the end. He says, you know, do you not remember me, Hobbs? And doesn't even mention Shaw at all because, you know, in the timeline, Han has no idea that it's uh, Deckard Shaw who causes his accident that kills him. So he wouldn't even know who he is. And the biggest issue with that is with honestly, like bringing Han into this sort of parallel timeline. I mean, so much of what we want to see of Han is that reunion with Vin Diesel, with the folks on that side of the aisle. So it's it's kind of a hard sell. What do you think of of a possible Dwayne Johnson's mysterious father from Samoa that he sort of threw away, he turned in for doing something illegal. Like I could. Oh, I didn't even think about that. That's that could... a, another pretty obvious option. Um, so obvious that I didn't think of it. Like I said, this movie is too smart for me, I guess. <laughs> um, sure. I, but here's the thing. I kind of wanted to get outside of these families and I know fast and furious is all about fam- family, family, but essentially like this whole saga is the story of three families. You have the Toretto's, you have the Shaws, and now you have Hobbs. The Hobbses. The Hobbses, <laughs> yeah. Well, actually, one uh, 
cameo. We didn't even talk about Ryan Reynolds in this movie, but uh, I didn't really enjoy him. He like plays a CIA operative, uh, basically just like being Deadpool, which is fine. But one of the cameos I really did enjoy is Dwayne Johnson's dog named Hobbs. He's like on the floor when he's doing his workouts at the beginning of the movie. Oh, I didn't even notice that. That's yeah. amazing. So there are uh, more, you know, that's just one more Hobbs. That's the real Hobbs. <laughs> the fact that Dwayne Johnson has a like a little French bulldog named Hobbs is the best. I mean, especially after he let the first one die. Oh, my gosh. You hear me, Dwayne? I know you killed that dog, wow. Dwayne. <laughs> oh, wow. Uh, all right. Well, Rock Talk has become very antagonistic while it's been away. Um Overall, what do you think of this movie? I think there's two different ways to to view it, two different ways that I like to rank it. One is probably, again, in the broader Dwayne Johnson film filmography, where does this fall? I think it's the top half, generally, top 15. Um, I don't know if it's, for me, as entertaining as like the rundown, actually. I think that the rundown is almost a better version of this, um, even though it came out so much longer ago. I think he doesn't that... wear safari gear either, <laughs> which is a true. big minus, <laughs> big minus. No Christopher Walken. Uh, like, but like, I mean, that's sort of how I, where I, how I feel about that. But in the fast and furious franchise, the ones that Dwayne Johnson's been in. So about five through eight. Um, I think that this is maybe it's hard, right? Five, six and seven are fantastic. Eight didn't love so much, but maybe that could change on repeated viewing. So I'd say this probably slots ahead of eight, but maybe behind the other three. What do you think? Yeah, I I think so. I think if we're ranking the Fast and Furious movies, for sure, it's above eight. So my ranking's probably number one is five, then seven, then six, then this, then eight. Yeah, no, I think you're right. I I might slip. I might I think you're right. I might flip seven and six, but beyond that, I think that it's pretty negligible when you get in there. Yeah. I mean, and I mean, I think just like as an action movie, uh, I think it, it works. I think it's a movie that you've, I, I do not feel like our $30 at 40 X was wasted at all. Um, and I, I've, I've also watched this movie on an airplane, which is a great way to pass the time. <laughs> It's not something you're going to be embarrassed of when other people look at your screen. Um, or at least I don't think so. <laughs> uh, overall, yeah. I mean, I think it works as an action movie. I, I think a lot of the reviews that I was reading online were like basically boiled down to, sure, why not? Like, this movie works just fine. These guys are charming enough on their own where they can pretty much carry a movie. But the two of them together is an interesting thing to see. Uh, but yeah, overall... Sure. I mean, I think we're hard on it, but we're hard on it because we love it. Yeah, we're hard because we care. It's right. the, to me this is to me the middle you have three different types of action buddy movies with Dwayne Johnson. Central Intelligence is like the pure comedy. This is the leaning heavily into action and maybe the rundown is kind of in the middle or maybe even flip this one in the rundown, but I I kind of think that's a spectrum of the Dwayne Johnson buddy cop formula. Yeah, I mean, I was thinking about G period, I period, Joe colon, <laughs> retaliation, and uh, compared to this movie. And I think that there was a lot of, like I said, experimental things about that movie that I had no idea what was, like, that I had no idea what were going to happen. And it kind of made it exciting to watch for one viewing. But a movie like this, where you know the characters already and you have an expectation of what those characters are going to be like, 
and you go and see a movie that kind of flouts a lot of those. Um, it was a little disappointing, but uh, at the end of the day, if we were doing like a franchise Viagra thing, I think it definitely passes. Yeah, absolutely. The charisma's there. The strength is there. He's clearly working hard. Does it always work? Maybe not, but he's definitely working hard, and he's definitely the strongest person in this film. When we look at these later Dwayne Johnson movies, we have to take into account that he's a producer on all of them. He controls what goes on screen to a large degree. So, you know, uh, I, I don't want this to become like a something where we just rag on the movies, but I think that's something we have to take into account for sure. Yeah, it's an obvious seven bucks influence, the same way that we talked about it during Rampage, where it's it's almost clear that there was decisions made to specifically make Dwayne Johnson's character come off just a little bit better than maybe he should. And it's just sometimes to his detriment. I think that's all the time we have for Hobbs and Shaw. First episode in quite some time for Rock Talk here. Charlie, we've. Uh, do you think we're gonna? Are we gonna commit to doing a few more? What do we, I know what do we've promised a lot. I don't <laughs> like the pressure of promising and and delivering. So we'll say we'll say we're really gonna make an effort. We're going to try to record uh, a lot of these during quarantine because what else are we gonna do? I think in the early parts of quarantine, people were excited to watch Tiger King, and they were all making bread, and it was this weird sort of um novelty of an idea people got tired of that spirits were low so this is our attempt our little attempt to get us out of those uh out of that trench as as your mental health continues to deteriorate why not make this the rock talk phase of quarantine (laughs) why not why not right before you go out why yeah this will be fresh in your mind as you uh enter the asylum and you can find our podcast uh, a number of different places, not as many as you could before. Uh, Facebook is mysteriously gone, uh, but we are on Twitter at Rock Talk Pod. So please drop us a follow if you haven't already. And if you haven't yet, please leave us a five star review on Apple uh, or Stitcher. Those really go a long way into making sure this podcast gets seen. Uh, and another, and we'll keep up our end of the bargain too, and put out more episodes uh, if that happens. So thanks a lot for listening. Till next time. This is Rock Talk. Can you smell what they're cooking? 